0: There's a huge wild animal outside. <laughs> it's very large. <laughs> Take a picture and send it to us.
1: How many bottles did you oh, get, oh Michelle? The column
2: ideas you give me.
3: <laughs> I mean, I, the filmmaker for me kind of wants it to come through. What the fuck? Welcome to the Cocktail Conversations. I'm Michelle Mitchell. And what was outside my door? Oh, I promise it's not what you think. We're digging into the value gap this season, but because our underlying mission is to take apart what I call the anger industrial complex, and because this election never ends, we are back with an election special, special election edition. That's right, thanks to Georgia, we are still finishing this thing. The magic day is January 5th and glass by glass, we will make it possible to once again talk to your friends and family. We're drinking a white wine blend from Massacon called Anea. And by we, I mean the hardiest veterans I know.
2: You got to watch out. I'm at the HR, I'm in my anecdotage now.
3: That's Clarence Page of the Chicago Tribune. He was also on our election special because, well, after nearly 40 years covering U.S. politics, he's seen it all.
2: I spent my whole career trying to get, get out there and be a journalist for truth, justice, and the American way, something I heard on TV years ago. Now, I'm really seeing, uh, I'm understanding what the paranoid style of American politics is.
0: The whole country should have been on Xanax around the election time. No matter what side of the political divide you are,
3: no one's happy. No one's happy. That's Valerie Plain, the former undercover CIA officer you've definitely heard about. She's now an author and ran for Congress this year. I was
0: just reading oh, yeah. an in-depth
3: article about this. I just did an in-depth
4: column on it. And Maybe you read got, your column uh,
3: and now she's quoting
4: it back to you. <laughs> That's
3: former FBI executive Lauren Anderson, the first woman on a SWAT team who led FBI terrorism and criminal investigations in Africa, Europe, and the Middle East. And on election night, she found out she lives next to one hell of a liquor store.
4: I walked in and my mouth just dropped open. There was two different bottles of vodka, one with the face of... Trump and one with Biden, and I was like, oh my God, seriously? But it was it was like $35. I'm like, okay, it's not that interesting. I really weird. like
1: this new concept for your podcast.
4: <laughs>
3: That's Nick Terse, a war correspondent and historian who's written in-depth about Sudan, Vietnam, Democratic Republic of Congo, and the United States. I once told him I knew a bartender in every town, and did he ever put it to use? I
1: finished some reporting on an ethnic cleansing campaign in Congo when I was just wrung out. I staggered into Rwanda, uh, went to a bar, and uh, I, I used the line. I casually mentioned that I knew Michelle Mitchell, and suddenly I was uh, feted like a king. Free drinks, <laughs> rock star treatment.
3: All right, so Georgia. The rule is, if a candidate doesn't get above 50%, there's a runoff. This is how we got January 5th, with both US Senate seats up for grabs. George has been here before, but not like this. How did we get here? I asked Clarence to kick us off.
2: Back in 1972, I worked undercover in a vote fraud investigation in Chicago, of all places. I know it's unbelievable that such a thing could even be suspected in Chicago. Uh, But we went out and investigated it and found 95 dead people who had voted in the uh, previous election. Number one, there was evidence. Number two, it wasn't widespread. What's really remarkable, Trump has raised so far $200 million since the election, saying that it was stolen from him. There are people out there who believe that and they're standing over their money. If we cannot have a common understanding of the facts, then how can we have a reasonable discussion and debate to get anything through Congress or uh, the public discourse?
3: Trump lawsuits claiming fraud got tossed at every level, all the way to the Supreme Court. None of it overturned the election, but maybe that wasn't the point. The whole effort has kept a significant number of Americans in a state of flight or fight. Well, also this information, or disinformation is making people almost incandescently angry. And sometimes they oh, don't yeah. even know why they're angry. And that it seems to me to be something
0: very different. It's not like a rubber band where things are just going to snap back to where we were in 2015. I mean, the whole idea of a democracy and how we govern ourselves is predicated on the idea that There's truth and that everyone's working from the same set of facts. But as Clarence pointed out, that ain't
3: true. Valerie, you ran for office. You ran for Congress. Mm. And I'm curious to know what your experience was. I got into
0: it running because I wanted to serve my country again. And I was a certain amount of naivete. I've never run for office before. And I kind of feel like, wow, I see how I saw how the sausage is made. I did not prevail in my primary. About a million and a half dollars of dark money came in a couple weeks before the election. So I got that up close and personal view.
3: Nick, we've talked a lot about what the danger is, where disinformation and the conspiracy theories that start to swirl, where these can go.
1: When I look at the conspiracy theories here and I look at uh, QAnon, I'm reminded of, especially a place that you know well, the, the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, I was reporting on a a Ebola outbreak there last year, and rumors and conspiracy theories were rampant. People said that Ebola was part of a a Western extermination plot, uh, that it was supported by local elites, uh, part of an organ theft plot. People said the disease didn't exist. Yeah, the academic research that went on in this, it was a Lancet study. You know, 92% of of people that were surveyed in the, the east of Congo at the time had heard misinformation about it. There were even people in that study who had been affected by Ebola, survivors of the disease, frontline health providers who also strongly denied that the disease existed.
0: Why do you suppose that is? Who's gaining from these conspiracy theories uh, around Ebola?
1: There were local elites who were running uh, health clinics of their own, where they said that they had, cures for this disease that uh, you couldn't trust Western science, so there was a profit motive there. But, you know, a lot of it was rooted in um, the fact that for years, the government has been unresponsive to people's needs. So now that the government was coming in and saying, you need to do this, uh, you have to take these precautions, this was an animating factor. And as you know, there are, there are a lot of armed groups in Congo, and a lot of them also uh, latched on this. It was an effective way to recruit there were 300 attacks on Ebola health workers, 76 of them uh, killed or injured. I talked to an expert about this at the time who told me that the main issue was security. He said, you know, when you start attacking and, and killing healthcare workers, it makes it very difficult to get healthcare to the areas that's needed. I wrote down and read this quote because the man who told me is Dr. Anthony Fauci.
4: I think going on in places like the Congo, and we're seeing it increasingly in other countries, is a complete absence of good governance and transparency. And sure. so when there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of fear, conspiracies and those theories can fill that void for people and provide them some sense of comfort or understanding, even if it's wrong. Even it's completely coming from a bad place. But that to me, along with the fact that truth is becoming a luxury and the fact that disinformation was the providence usually in the past, government to government and a way to try and control things in that sense. And because of technology, we've had a complete democratization of that, and anybody can propagate disinformation. Kyle
2: Rittenhouse from my beloved Illinois goes across the border up to, to Kenosha to protect the merchants there from these marauding Antifa, etc., You know, these type of fever dreams take on a real force and now Rittenhouse is in trial for for killing two people. The whole thing didn't have to happen.
3: Well, look what's happening with this Georgia special election. You just had a Republican official actually say, stop it. Cut it it out. Yeah, Yeah, cut it out. I'm glad he did it, but it was like, this is normal.
0: He should say yeah. that. More people should say that.
2: <laughs> now we've got the, the guy, secretary of state in charge of the elections, getting death threats for telling the truth. Everybody knows it's the truth. Uh, I mean, even a lot of the people who are pretending that they think Donald Trump won, they know it's the truth
4: too. When you talk about these sorts of things and the threats against the Republican Secretary of State and Georgia and the other officials, the other part of that problem is if we move further and further towards violence against those individuals, people don't have the same degree of trust that they have in the institutions that are there to protect us all, whether it's the FBI, whether it's at a a local or state level. And I think that's a potential to compound any problem because nobody trusts anybody. You're right, Lauren. There's such a
0: trust deficit in every entity and organization from the military to the Catholic church, just in our moment of peril, I believe in our country, there's no commonality of trust. Like, okay, we can at least believe X. There's no one there. No one.
2: No shared reality.
0: Exactly.
3: You use the phrase the, the moment of perils. Can you elaborate a little bit on that, Valerie? Because you are the only former CIA operative on this show right now. Can we
2: trust you? <laughs> <laughs> we
3: do. I I ran for Congress because
0: I wanted to serve my country again. That's what I was doing in the CIA. That's what Laura and you were doing in the FBI. There's a really cool career, but you don't get paid nearly enough money. You do it because you care deeply. And First of all, public service, I would say frankly, since Ronald Reagan has been deeply denigrated. You know, who are you gonna trust uh, if someone, you know, I'm from the government, I'm here to help you. ha ha. ha. Um, so that has been slowly eroded. Maybe it was Mark Twain who said the lie is uh, halfway around the world before the truth can put its shoes on. I believe that we're just in the very beginning of what's called deep fakes and so forth. We've always, as Americans, always have had a conspiracy streak through us politically, historically. Now it is just that tiger is out of the cage running around the really small room. We will get through this, but you better believe that our enemies around the world they smell blood in the water, and they are just waiting.
2: I look back to how, how do you build trust, who do we trust, and why. It really takes time and some kind of, of an association uh, to be an influencer of people uh, in, a, in a way that they will believe.
3: Okay, now Clarence is on to something here. Research this fall by the Network Dynamics Group found that... It wasn't social networks that polarized people. Those networks have a small number of people at the center, connected to lots of folks in the periphery. Most people in the periphery have a modest number of connections, but the few, the ones we call influencers at the center, are connected to nearly everyone. Those influencers then exert disproportionate power over the group, and that can lead to some dangerous places.
4: I have a family member who is a millennial, who came to me one day in absolute seriousness and said to me, my friends and I have been talking and we've kind of decided that the FBI assigns an agent to every person in the United States to monitor them. <laughs> and I let him explain and I said, okay, here's a few facts. I said, do you know how many FBI agents there are in the country? He said, no. And I said, well, somewhere between 12 and 13,000. He said, oh, okay. Oh. I said, do you know what the population is of the United States? Well, I'm not really sure. I said, okay, let's go with 330 million. Does it make sense to you, given those numbers, that it's possible for the FBI to assign an agent to watch every person in the United States? And I think this is what's so important about active listening across parties. Tell me why you think that help mm-hmm. me understand why that's your position, and then maybe we can have a conversation from there. And I
3: This is where I set my glass aside because something I'd been taught as a reporter is you cannot engage everyone in conversation, and there's a good reason for that. I
2: wonder, what's the real difference between Twitter and the people who always wrote to us with a, a crayon scrawl, you know?
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> We've all, all the... seen
3: that. <laughs> but what we were talking about, all of us who have known fear through our work, is who Who gets to define, market, and control fear? A simple message repeated over and over catches fire fast. The Affordable Care Act became Obamacare, so people who already hated Obama hated the act, and the industries that stood to make money from the hate and the fear got richer, even if it made no sense to oppose something that, wait for it, was already bipartisan.
2: Obamacare is my favorite example. You know, Obamacare, uh, which the Republicans nicknamed, the Affordable Care Act, really began at the Heritage Foundation among conservatives. I wrote about it back in the 90s. Mitt Romney became governor of Massachusetts, put it into action with Massachusetts healthcare, Mm -hmm. and that became the model for the ACA, Uh, but what happened?
4: Whether we are public servants like Valerie and I were, whether Clarence and Nick, they're like you in the media, we bear a responsibility to listen and to say help me understand why you think that and let's talk about the facts and let's try and get there because if we don't each take that responsibility we're not going to ever move beyond where we are and we can't say the government's going to fix it congress is going to fix it because they're not it's up to Mm -hmm. each of us as individuals to say i'm going to take one step forward i'm going to take a responsibility as a citizen of this country to do what i can and to propagate facts and not fiction and not nonsense. And
3: speaking of nonsense, back to the bear-like weasel raccoon thing in my house. We're all
2: dying of curiosity.
3: Way to throw the bullshit card down. (laughs) For the record, it was a mapache, a bear-like weasel raccoon thing that ate five bananas and left bodily fluids all over the kitchen floor. I did not get a photo, but trust me, it happened. Early voting has begun in Georgia, so good luck, peach staters. No mapaches to freak you out there. You can find out more about the wine we drank on Instagram at The Cocktail Conversations and on our website, thecocktailconversations.com. You can also find out more about our guests and who made this episode on our website. Want more conversation? Of course you do. Join the club, The Old Pal Club. That's where your tax-deductible contribution gets you private access to special interviews, extras, events, and more. You can become an old pal via our website and our Instagram.